This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. We will have some thoughts about Veterans Day later on in the hour. But first, I want to start right away with some very special guests who we have here with us today. We have Lavery Greenfield, who is now age 16. She first came on this show, I think, when she was seven. So we're going to review some history here. And then we are going to be joined by Landon Shaowitz, who is age eight, who is going to, well, be the successor to the wonderful, extraordinary work that Lavery Greenfield has done. So, Lavery, thank you for coming back to the show. For those of our listeners to say, I can kind of place the name, but I don't, oh, yes, a peanut butter and jelly drive. Tell us what the PB&J drive has been, what caused you to start it, and what it has accomplished in the last, well, many years now. And then we're going to talk about, for our listeners, we're going to talk about where it stands today. But let's have some history. Um, hi, Bill. Thank you for having me. I started the peanut butter and jelly drive when I was five years old. Um, We toured the Food Bank of Western Mass, and our tour guide told us that the most requested food by children um, who had um, hunger and food insecurity was peanut butter and jelly. So I worked with my parents to start a food drive where we raised money to donate to the food bank and collected jars of peanut butter and jelly. You were five? I was five years old, yes. I'm sorry. I, I, I misstated this, I think, earlier when I said you were seven. I was seven when I first came on the show. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. We were, we were a little late in our, in, our, in our news coverage, but we got there eventually. <laughs> okay. So you say you started a PB&J drive. What did you do? Um, we and put, where did you do it? <laughs> we put collection boxes at my elementary school where we asked people- Which to, was what school? Uh, Hatfield Elementary. Um, I moved to Hilltown Charter. We ran the drive there collecting, and we collected at the Hampshire Regional YMCA and the local libraries. And for how many years did you conduct the PB&J drive? I conducted the PB&J drive for, this will be our 10th or 11th year. And when you say we you had some help in all this. I mean, you probably couldn't drive no. the uh, jars. And it's not a literal drive like that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to put them in a car okay. sometime. You, you probably had a little help. I did. You did. Okay, um, tell us who. My parents helped me run the drive, and later on we had kids from other schools running drives at their elementary and middle schools. So you did done this for a decade, starting when you were five years old, because yes. I take it you were... Moved by what you heard and saw when you went to the uh, the, the, the food bank or the uh, uh, survival center? Where were you? We went to the um, warehouse for the food bank of Western Mass. Okay. Do you re- literally remember it? I have like one memory from when I was five years old. Um, I remember like um, going in the freezers ah. and uh, the ceilings were very high. I remember that. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. And approximately how many jars or how many pounds of... PB&J, would you collect during these drives? And let's start there. The first year, we collected 1,059 pounds. I remember that. Um, And then it grew to the point where we were hitting goals of um, 10,000 pounds. Not 10,000 pounds. 2,000 pounds. (laughs) A ton. (laughs) A ton. 
And um, we had grocery stores like Big Y and River Valley um, donating pallets to us so we could hit those goals. And when did you, what was the uh, timing for the PB&J drive every year? Um, for the first five or six years, it was the whole month of October. Um, we kind of moved to a late October, early November, which is what we're doing now. And, okay, so the good news is that the PB&J drive has gone on for over a decade. Yes. You've collected, well, somewhere between ten and 20,000 pounds of food, PB&J, for uh, young people mostly who suffer from food insecurity uh, here in the Valley, uh, people who don't know or if they can count on their next meal, something that, of course, Monty's March is going to do a lot to try to uh, assuage. Um, how do you feel looking back on this now? Um, I think I had a really unique opportunity as a young person with a community and parents that helped support me and begin like my service journey. You've moved. Your family has moved. And at least uh, uh, you are now attending school in the eastern part of the state. Yes, yes I am. Okay. Um, so tell us uh, how the PB&J Drive has gone with you. Or um, come with you from your new community's point of view. Um, we moved uh, to the Boston area. And this year I'm working with my friend Landon, um, who's helping us run the drive at the three local elementary schools and the library and the town center to benefit um, the food bank of Greater Boston. So you're, the, the contributions that you are, where are you at school? Wayland High School. And so the contributions and the donations and the drive that you succeed with at Wayland High School and the other schools in the district, that will go to the food bank of Greater Boston? Yes, it will. And when did the drive start this year? Um, the drive started on November 7th. Okay. Now, uh, you have succession planning that yes, you have to deal with because you are now a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, so what is your s plan for succession in the PB&J drive? Um, I'm working with Landon, who is in elementary school. She's eight years old. And we are working to run the drives in elementary school, so hopefully she can take it over when I'm gone. So Landon, th thank you so much for being with us. You you're eight years old? Yes. Okay. And you are working uh, with Lavery on the PB&J drive? Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you tell us what are you doing? Um, I'm kind of just helping her out, and when she goes to college, I'm going to kind of take it over. Uh-huh. And what kind of things do you help with? It? Um, I help with putting out the bins and putting up the signs and all of the stuff like that. And is this fun to do? Yes. Okay, that's a big smile. And uh, is is Lavery a, a, a neighbor of yours, a friend? How do you happen to be part of her crew? Um, they live at the end of a, the road that I live on. And uh, do do you guys uh, do things together? Are you friends? Yes. Tell us some of the things you do. Well, when my parents go out to dinner, she comes over and watches me and my sister. 
aha, well, child care <laughs> or, or younger person care. I got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you must be pretty excited, I would think, Lavery, that your project uh, is continuing and that you have younger people ready to carry on. Tell us about that. I'm very excited. I love seeing kids get into service, and I love that I can help with that. I need to come up with a succession plan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Anybody with an M starting name to, <laughs> wants to do a march, let me know. <laughs> um, do you have some goals in mind for the PB&J drive in the, the Wayland area this year? Um, this year, our goal is um, for our um, online donations. Um, we have a $5,000 goal, um, but we just found out that um, Stop and Shop is matching all the donations to the Greater Food Bank of Boston for the month of November. So we've raised that goal to 10000 So the PB&J drive, as I remember it out here for many years, was literally take your peanut butter and jelly jars and bring them somewhere. Yes. So is that still how it works or yes. not? You bring um, unexpired sealed jars of peanut butter and jelly to our donation boxes, and you can leave them there, and we will bring them to local food pantries. Uh, You were also talking about donating online, which I assume, well, I don't want to assume that you can't just hit a button and send 20 (laughs) jars of PB&J, but maybe you can. How how does that work? Um, You pick your donation. We like to leave how much um, like a jar would cost, so you can put that idea in your head. But, um, yeah, you donate however much you're willing to give. And where is, or what is the address? What's the URL? Do we have that? I believe you can find it via the PB&J drive on gbf.com. Okay, we will check that for sure. Um, l- let me ask, let me go back to uh, 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 Landon, uh, who is eight years old, who is the s- successor will be the successor to uh, Lavery Greenfield as the director of the PB&J Drive. Uh, other than your friendship with, with Lavery, why did you want to do this? Um, I thought it would just be helpful and that when she goes off to college, um, I would still be able to run it. And do you have friends, do you think, who will help you with this? Uh, maybe. Uh-huh. And you think you'll ask, for, ask them for some helps? Because it's a big project. Yeah, probably. Okay. Uh, and you have uh, your parents who are going to be helpful too, the way uh, uh, Lavery's have been? Yes. Did you bring one of your parents with you today? Yes. Okay. Who do you have with you? My with mom. Us? Okay. Well, I'm sure glad that she is here too. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to learn more about Monty's March, uh, fighting hunger here in the Valley, the PB&J drive, and what you can do to help. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Hey, everyone. It's Tina Marie, co-pilot of The Cambridge Connection. I'm also a certified credit counselor. For 25 years, I've been helping people have a better relationship with money while getting out of debt. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on WHMP, Join me, Gordon, and our variety of amazing experts who stop by to offer great advice navigating the daily financial maze of life. Join Tim Velozo of Simply IT as he talks with Gordon and Tina Marie and offers tips to protect your personal financial information. 
My dad, Russell Cooper, started Cooper's Dairy in 1936 at the age of 18. As a kid, I'd load bottles into the bottle washing machine or ride in the tanker truck to pick up the milk. My father got up at 2 in the morning to make sure all the home delivery routes had been covered. When the milkman era ended, people started to call a location the corner main in Chestnut and Florence, Cooper's Corner. In 1974, Dad bought State Street Fruit Store in Northampton. People used to call it Charlie's back then. Soon, Duyard's Barbershop next door became State Street Deli, and we built State Street Wines and Spirits on the other side. Hi, I'm Rich Cooper, and I've been helping to keep Coopers and State Street committed to our Valley neighbors and farms my entire life. And now, it's time for the next generation to take over. Don't worry, it'll still be quick in, quick out every day of the year, but the next time you run out, you might run into Mike Natale. He's a Florence native, and he'll be taking things from here. Maybe Mike will let me host some wine and cheese tastings for customers, or I suppose I could just be a volunteer greeter at the door. On behalf of the Coopers family, I want to say thank you for supporting us these last 86 years. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Frances Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at hugyourmoney.com. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Oh, come on. Bread and butter. It's not necessarily peanut butter, but it's close. It's pretty close. We're going to go with that. Thank you, Monty. And the music is in honor of our guests, uh, Landon Shayowitz, who is eight years old, and Lavery Greenfield, who is now 16 and in 11th grade at the Whalen High School. Of course, Lavery is the founder of the PB&J, the Peanut Butter and Jelly Drive here in Northampton uh, and in Hatfield in Western Massachusetts and is now leading the PB&J Drive at her new high school in Whalen, Massachusetts. We have Landon Shayowitz, age 8, with us because she is the successor, the nominated successor to be the director I don't mean student director, I mean director of the PB&J Drive. We were talking during the break about a number of topics. Our conversation continued, but one I would like to clarify. For those who are listening in the first to the first segment, uh, the address to donate to? My.gbfb.org slash fundraiser. Okay, let's do that again slowly so we can get it for those who are writing it down. My.gbfb.org. 
org slash fundraiser. Greater Boston Food, Food Bank. Bank. Yep. Okay. Thank you very much. And we were talking about food insecurity during the break, and you and Monty were kind of comparing notes on what we know about food security here in Western Massachusetts as compared to Eastern Massachusetts. And I'm wondering if they appear that data uh, would appear to be the same or different in some ways. What did you guys discover? Um, the one statistic we talked about was that one in five kids um, worry about or don't know where their next meal is coming from, which is the same in Western and Eastern Mass. I'm sure there's more people that the Greater Boston Food Bank serves than the Western Mass Food Bank, but the statistics are still about the same. Yeah. That's, re that's, that's really frightening. Uh, when, when you reflect on that, uh, Lavery, how does it make you feel? And what does it make you feel about this project you've been engaged in for these many years? Um, I think when I was Landon's age, um, it was easy to think about um, how many kids were in my class, which is often 20 kids, um, which means that about four kids in your class don't know where their next meal is coming from or is worried about it. And when you think about it that way, it's very scary and it's a lot of people. And it's something that makes you want to help out and do something about it. Well, let me turn to Landon. How does this make you feel? Um, I think that just knowing that um, people are going to have what they need and, like, they don't know if they're going to have that stuff or not is, like, kind of how I feel. Kind of what? How I feel. Yeah. Does it make you sad? Mm, sometimes when I feel like people don't know if they're going to have, like, what they want to eat food-wise. And when you think about supplying the PB&J, does that make you feel like you're doing something helpful? Yes. So I'd like to know, when you two talk to each other about this, Lavery and Landon, what's the focus of your conversations about what you're doing and why you're doing it? I think that we've talked about service and how it makes us feel as people. And, you know, I think that it's important that everyone puts acts of service into practice into their life. And I love that I can help Landon do that. So Landon, uh, this is a big project. You're going to have, you're going to work with uh, Lavery next year as well as to, mm -hmm. to learn the ropes. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it, so two years from now, you'll be in charge of the PB&J drive. Does that make you feel good? Uh, I think so, actually. Is it a little bit scary to have mm. that responsibility or no? I think since I'll be older, I may feel a little bit more and I'll like um, know more about it because um, I'll be a few years into like what it feels like. I think you have an excellent teacher, too. <laughs> so... Um, we should ask you, Lavery, you're, you're in uh, 11th grade now. Right? Yes. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's too early to start asking you about what, what happens next, right, when, when you leave the <laughs> PB&J drive and go on? I don't know yet. Yes. Um, I do remember when my uh, daughter uh, had a party when her senior year in high school and there were parents involved, kind of 
and we, they, what they did is wrote on a board, here's what we're doing, don't ask. <laughs> so so let, let, me, let me ask you a, a last question about it. Is there anything else you think that our listeners need to know about the PB&J tribe, about how to uh, participate? Um, and Monty, you're going to have your own march, not a drive, uh, <laughs> Yeah, for the food more bank. walking than driving. For, sure. <laughs> for the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts, I'd appreciate your final thoughts, and then we'll have uh, a contribution, more of a contribution even, to this conversation, and then we'll ask uh, Lavery and Landon for their final thoughts too. Monty? I just think it's great. They've seen you grow up doing this, to see how involved you've been, to see the uh, work of the food bank being inspirational to you as a person, to the point that it's carried you through a decade, and then you know, generosity can sometimes spark more generosity. So the next generation taking this over is a, is a wonderful thing. It's been great over the years when you were living here still like at the end of the march or at least day one of the march where we'd meet up on the uh, common of the old courthouse there yep. and uh, hear what you were doing, hear how your event was going. And this is a very generous time of year. People feel really like they want to give. And uh, I think it's great that we both exploited that feeling. <laughs> Lavery, your, your thoughts? Um, I just urge people to donate to Monty and donate to our drive because um, food disparity is, you know, as strong of an issue as ever, and um, it's important to help out. Okay, Monty, you just were given a generous gift of time to mm. uh, perhaps share with us where people might contribute to your march you can, against hunger. You can go to foodbankwma.org or montysmarch.com and it'll take you to the page where donations are being made, where you can see the teams that are participating in it. You can support a team. You can start your own team still. You could uh, virtually march with us. And uh, as of today, if you don't want to do any walking and want to get a little bit of something back from your donation, if you go to State Street or Cooper's and make a $100 donation, there's what we're calling Monty's Mixed Bags, and they have beer and wine and coffee and chocolate and things that gift certificates to local locations so you can get something back for your donation through that. Plus, I've hidden two golden tickets in there, meaning if you get them, then you get to pick music on my uh, show over on the river. So <laughs> all of those options available to you, although not the mixed bag for the, the children in the room. They're, they're not of age. Oh, well. Do you want to give your... Uh, website too, your URL to tell people where they can contribute to the PB&J drive too? Yes. Um, the link to donate is my.gbfb.org slash fundraiser. Uh, you know, this is a somewhat unfair question, I think, but you have been doing this for a long time, so maybe not so unfair. Uh, do you feel like it's making a difference? Yeah, I, I can see it in my daily practice. I and more service-minded. I can see how I think about how other people view the world and can treat people like you don't know what struggles going on in their life. And let me turn to and end with a question for you, Landon Shayowitz. Mm -hmm. You're eight years old. Yes. What are your, what's your biggest thought? What's your, uh, that's a bad question, I'm sorry. What's your, what's your biggest feeling? about being part of this project with, with Lavery and being part of the PB&J drive? Um, I feel like it's just making me happy most of the time because I get to help people 
who really need stuff like this. Want to give the place where people can donate again one more time? Yes. My.gbfb.org slash fundraiser. Well, we can't thank you enough, uh, Landon Shaywitz and Lavery Greenfield. You guys are an inspiration. Thank you so very much for all you do and all you do for all of us. Thank you, Bill. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Incumbent Democratic Senator John Velas won by nearly double the votes on Tuesday to continue to represent residents of Hampshire and Hamden counties in the Senate. Velas told 22 News that one of his main priorities is continued relief for taxpayers. We need some tax relief. I mean, there's a lot of good tax relief in the economic development bill, you know, raising the estate tax threshold, the child deduction tax credit, child care tax credit. We need to implement those in a law. This will be Velas' second full term in the state Senate. Voters in the 1st Franklin and 1st Hampshire districts largely support the idea of a carbon tax. A non-binding question on Tuesday's ballot passed with about 56% of voters in Franklin County and 70% in Hampshire County. Because the ballot question is non-binding, the results show state representatives the opinions of voters without creating laws or amendments. On Sunday, the Media Education Foundation will reopen and rededicate its community meeting room in Northampton to three late local activists. Francis Crow, Greg Speeder, and Marty Nathan. Betsy Speeder spoke about her husband founding the National Priorities Project to interrogate military spending in the United States. He felt it was important people, ordinary people, all of us, would understand, have greater transparency about that federal budget meant and where the money went, our tax dollars went. The dedication ceremony, led by Senator Joe Comerford, starts at 4 p.m. at the Media Education Foundation, located behind Woodstar Cafe. Hi, I'm Nick Oresco. Dry this morning with rain developing after 2 p.m. Rain could be heavy at times. Windy with gusts over 30 miles per hour. Warm with temperatures in the upper 60s to near 70. Rain and windy tonight with lows in the 60s. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Hablando en una conferencia de prensa en la Casa Blanca, el presidente Joe Biden prometió trabajar con los republicanos y dijo que entendía que los votantes están frustrados a pesar de la campaña sorprendentemente competitiva de los demócratas. También reiteró su intención de postularse para la reelección en 2024 y dijo que tomaría una decisión final a principios del próximo año. La elección no alcanzó la victoria arrolladora que buscaban los republicanos, ya que los demócratas eludieron el tipo de dura derrota a mitad de periodo que a menudo afectó a los presidentes en ejercicio de cualquier partido. Los resultados sugirieron que los votantes estaban castigando a Biden por presidir una economía afectada por la inflación más pronunciada en 40 años con un 8.2%, al tiempo que criticaron los esfuerzos republicanos para prohibir el aborto y sembraron dudas sobre el proceso de conteo de votos de la nación. Los malos desempeños de algunos candidatos respaldados por Donald Trump indicaron agotamiento con el tipo de caos fomentado por el expresidente republicano, lo que generó 
generó dudas sobre la viabilidad de su posible candidatura a la Casa Blanca en 2024. En otras informaciones y como parte del proceso de asfaltado y mejoras a la calle High en Holyoke, la ciudad anunció que esta calle continuará estando cerrada al tránsito vehicular este jueves 10 de noviembre desde la calle Essex hasta la calle Lyman, en horario de 6 de la mañana a 5 de la tarde. Durante este cierre no habrá estacionamiento de vehículos ni tránsito en la calle. La ciudad ha pedido que se remuevan los vehículos y que el público se mantenga al pendiente de señalizaciones que marcarán desvíos y rutas alternas. Durante esta etapa final se estará completando el trazado de líneas sobre High Street. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our weekly segment with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. We like to start with the UMass fight song. I don't know why, but we do. We really like Remember it. Remember, he's a professor there? Yeah, I know that. But we just, we, it, the, the UMass fight song has stood the test of time. If you don't like UMass football, you still love UMass marching band. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That is true. Max Page, you have with you and us today a special guest. We want to talk about question uh, question one, the fair share amendment, which passed this week. Massachusetts voters uh, endorsed the fair share amendment. It is now part of our Massachusetts Constitution. The pleasure and honor of the introduction is yours. I can't wait to hear this conversation. Max. Thank you, Bill. And good morning, Marie Francis Rivera. Good morning, Max. Well, good morning, Bill. Marie Francis Rivera is the president of the Massachusetts Budget and Policy Center, the leading progressive think tank in Massachusetts, and uh, play, in a, an organization that played an absolutely central role in the question one in informing uh, the public about question one. So, Marie Francis, what is what does the victory mean to you as president of Mass Budget? This victory for uh, progressive taxes that has been uh, fought for for a hundred years or so, but has finally been achieved on Tuesday. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Max. Um, so the Massachusetts Budget and Policy Center, Mass Budget, was founded 35 years ago as this organization called the Tax Equity Alliance for Massachusetts, or TEAM. Uh, Jim Browdy was actually one of the founders, uh, founding president of the organization. And it was founded really to make the tax code more just in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, uh, lower income people pay more of their income in state and local taxes uh, than wealthy people. It still continues to be the case, though, this historic victory that we had this past week really made a sizable shift in um, uh, the justice, you know, the, the just Ness um, of our tax code. So this is a this is a huge victory for for everybody in the Commonwealth and the fact that we'll have up to two billion dollars every year to invest in education and transportation is huge. Right, and I I will say that I know the numbers are, are run all over the place, but I think Mass Budget said two billion or more. Might yeah, so so we'll you know we'll, we'll see and, and we looked at other states um, who you know in recent years passed uh, similar versions of you know taxes on on high income and we've seen that the estimates that those states predicted you know when they were sort of in their campaign modes uh, really outpaced 
um, actually what they ended up bringing in. So states like California and such. So we could do actually a, a, a even even more than was mm -hmm. uh, the, the campaign predicted. So the, the mass budget, mass budget and policy center, we, we affectionately call it mass budget for short. Your organization played such a central role because you published, uh, I don't know, a dozen different papers on different aspects of um, of the issues. Can you just explain to viewers, viewers, listeners, some of those reports, the kind of things that you were covering that you know are at the center of the debate? Sure. So, you know, at Mass Budget, we really believe in inclusive democracy. That means you get people the facts and you really include people in making really important policy decisions. So, you know, for, for many years, Mass Budget has been looking at the income tax in Massachusetts and how to make it more progressive. You know, so a lot of what we um, publish is really looking at just the basics of, you know, who who's taxed. So we saw that people in the top 1%, you know, their effective tax rates were around 6%, 6.8% compared to 10% of really low income people. So that was sort of the baseline just to let people know this is what our state and local tax code looks like. Um, once we, you know, started hearing some some of the myths really and misconceptions about um the the impacts of the fair share amendment we started publishing pieces around small businesses um, because the, one of the big arguments were that small businesses were going to be taxed uh we started publishing um <laughs> we started publishing um things about um home sales because there um, were some myths around home sales being um being taxed and homeowners being taxed and what we really found in all of that throughout was really that you know the premise of this tax is really only directly impacting those in the top one percent continue to hold through throughout all of our research and analysis it was kind of stunning to see that. I think that was a main part of the, the campaign. Obviously, MTA was central to the campaign, so I'm not speaking about some other third party, uh, was this notion that it's really, we're talking about taxes on the 1%. And this, and it was very powerful, I think, for mass budget to show in different areas on small businesses, on housing, that in fact, it really, um, the changes would only affect the very, very wealthiest. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Were there any surprises you found in reaction to some of the reports or some of the debate um, around the kind of specific policy issues? Were, they, were you surprised by anything during this campaign? My surprises, yeah. So I, I would have people reach out to me directly. Um, and the thing I was surprised about is um, just the misinformation and the disinformation and how that really impacted people. So we did spend quite a bit of time talking to individual people who would reach out to us explaining, you know, they'd be like, oh, we're gonna sell our house and et cetera, et cetera. And we'd walk them through and say, hey, if your house increased in, in, in value by a million dollars, you still have this deduction of $250,000 or, you know, $500,000 that you can actually, you know, take off of the gain of your home and you wouldn't be anywhere near being taxed by the fair share amendment. So there was a lot of disinformation and misinformation that we had to really get out there and um, lay out the clear facts. And mass budget played absolutely a central role in kind of getting beyond the, the misinformation and getting back to the facts, including, you know, publishing the list of every single town and how much the sales, the home sales were in the, in the past year and how much they went for and, and the like. Uh -huh. If I could, yes. if I could, I would like to ask you a 
Marie Frances Rivera as president of the Mass Budget and Policy Center and you, Max Page, as president of the Mass Teachers Association about the flip side of this. You've been talking about the generation of the income, the up to $2 billion, maybe more than $2 billion a year for transportation and education. And congratulations to you both on a very significant victory and I think a, a, a not as razor thin as some has predicted it might be. Uh, I'd like to know how we now, since we're getting to the implementation phase of this, how can we be sure that the legislature is going to add that money up to $2 billion a year for these two two areas of critical need in Massachusetts? How can we be sure that the legislature is not going to simply take money away with the left hand and then supply it with the right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's incumbent on all of us to make sure that you know, we're paying attention uh, and that we're holding elected uh, leaders accountable to the spending of this. Uh, Mass budget does um, every single budget season and we're hopeful that people will, will join in <laughs> on, on really following the, the budget proposals that come out from the governor, um, that come out from the state legislature and we'll be following very closely to see um, the money that's coming in and um, the uses that it's being spent on. I think there are many um, creative things that we can do so that we can have community accountability um, on the money and making sure that um, you know people are able to really understand what's happening with it. I think that's extremely important um, so that we, you know, we rebuild the trust um, with community members and with you know the state house and um, and and Beacon Hill around the spending of these dollars. And Bill, I, I would just say that um, the, the legislature voted for this four times over the past six, uh, five years um, and voted 80% in favor to put it on the ballot. They want this money to be able to improve schools and colleges and fix roads, bridges and public transportation. And we just elected overwhelmingly a governor, Maura Healy, who said she would veto any legislative attempt to divert the money and she said it's very clear that it must be in addition the monies for education and transportation must be in addition now again that's no guarantee but that is a very strong statement from um the incoming um governor who, who comes in with a, a very strong majority so and as marie francis said mass budget will be there mta aft the entire raise up um, massachusetts coalition um, we'll be there saying, we're, we worked so hard for this, we're going to make sure that the money gets spent as it should be. I'd like to ask, we just have a minute or so left, but I would like to ask this question. There's going to be competition for this money. Max, you're obviously uh, interested and in, in will advocate for the money to uh, be used for education. I, I know you, uh, you will work cooperatively and collegially with uh, others who have a claim on this money, but there's going to be competition between those who want it to go for transportation, and those who want it to go for education. How's that going to get resolved? I'll be brief, and I'll hear what Marie France has to say. Basically, you know, this what a wonderful problem to have, which is we have two billion dollars additional funds for these. I think there's a commitment to work for the common good for all of these, and I think there's a, a lot of there's a a lot of opportunity um, to to invested key things and this will be going on forever hopefully forever a generation two generations however long this is in the constitution and therefore we have a chance to spend this money in different ways at different moments mm -hmm. marie francis rivera 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is an exciting time and, uh, you know, and obviously we're going to have to prioritize things and, you know, there are many inequities across the Commonwealth and we need to just start by looking at, you know, are, are, are we paying everybody well? Are we paying transit workers well? Are we paying educators well? Um, you know, what are ways that we can really um, make sure that this money and the opportunities that come with it really touch um, communities of color and communities that are most vulnerable. So, Marie Francis Rivera, president of the Mass Budget and Policy Center, and Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Thank you both for your time this morning and insights. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is Bill Newman, WHO. The music of John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane, made new by rising young jazz lioness Lakeisha Benjamin. Lakeisha Benjamin, a charismatic and dynamic young jazz sax player, brings her band to UMass November 17th. Benjamin's new album, Pursuance, The Coltrane's, is an intergenerational masterwork, taking you on a journey through the lineage of jazz. Lakeisha Benjamin infuses the jazz tradition with touches of hip-hop and soul, producing soaring sonic adventures and dance floor-worthy rhythms and grooves. For tickets, UMass Fine Arts Center website. Don't miss this exciting exploration of the living art form that is jazz. The Lakeisha Benjamin Quartet, Thursday, November 17th, 7.30, Bowker Auditorium at UMass. Join Business West on December 8th at the Sheraton Springfield for the Women of Impact Awards, celebrating LaToya Bosworth, Sister Mary Caritas, Jody Falk, Annika Lopez, Lori Raymakers, Hilda Roque, Ashley Sullivan, Aylin Tierney. Visit businesswest.com to meet this year's honorees and to reserve tickets. Business West's Women of Impact is sponsored by Country Bank, Tommy Carr Auto Group, Comcast Business, Granite State Development, and Smith Executive Education. Join Business West in celebrating the 2022 Women of Impact. The holidays, baking, wrapping, decorating, and of course, shopping for that special gift. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. This holiday season, consider giving a private one-on-one -on -one personal training session with a Fitness Together gift card. Stop by our locations, Amherst or Northampton, to pick one up in person. Or give us a call and we'll drop one in the mail. Give a gift that keeps the ones you love fit and healthy. Happy holidays from all of us at Fitness Together. Want to support the Food Bank of Western Mass but don't want to do any of that annoying marching? You're in luck. It's the return of Monty's Mixed Bag. Make a $100 donation, enough for 400 meals, and you'll walk away with some delicious wines thanks to Ruby Wines, some delicious beer thanks to Berkshire Brewing, some Headwater Cider, some Dean's Beans Coffee, candy from Richardson's Candy Kitchen, and gift certificates from places like Pins, Interskate 91, Fitzwillies, Gazebo, the Deerfield Inn, Mesa Verde, Bueno Isano, Esalon, and more. Plus, in not one, but two of the bags, there are golden tickets. You get the golden ticket, you get to pick an hour or a half hour's worth of music on my show. There are 100 bags for $100 and 100 
percent of your donation will go to the Food Bank of Western Mass. Monty's Mixed Bags, available exclusively at State Street Fruit Store, Deli Wines and Spirits in Northampton, or Cooper's Corner in Florence. Take the easy route on the march to the Food Bank. Get yourself a Monty's Mixed Bag. Available exclusively at State Street and Cooper's. The march for the Food Bank is November 21st and 22nd. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The beat goes on. And this is Artbeat with our correspondent, Donabel Cassis. Donabel, the microphone is yours, as is the pleasure of the introduction of our very special guest. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. It's Friday. And the East Hampton Film Festival, which returned on October 14th, with independent film screenings at E-Media in East Hampton, Mass, is screening the last of the film series tonight. And joining us today, hopefully, is founder <laughs> of EFF, Chris Ferry. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Chris, this film screening series has been a big hit in the Valley. And, you know, being a filmmaker yourself, when you started the East Hampton Film Festival, what did you want to showcase? Well, uh, I really wanted to explore the, you know, the, the environment here of people who were making their own movies locally. Um, mm -hmm. There's amazing work going on around the world, so I wanted to be a combination of, you know, what's new and fresh and independent cinema everywhere. But I really wanted to you know, 30, 50% of it be local films. And I was delighted to find that there's a thriving independent film community here. I know we are pretty lucky to be in a hotbed of creativity, I have to say. Uh, and tonight, of course, you're showing the best of the fest in this series. And these are audience favorites. Is there a common thread between these films or any shockers for you? There, you know, there isn't a common thread except three. I'm um, just five films. Three of the five are local, and the common mm -hmm. thread is that they are great, and that people <laughs> that they, that I loved them, and that people came up to me after every screening and was like, "What was? Who did that one? That was so wonderful, right?" So yeah, the common thread is excellence, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, the second common thread is it's mostly local. Mostly local, but no shockers really. There aren't really any shockers. Two of them are documentary films. Three of them are just original nonfiction. One of them mm -hmm. is experimental. So it just sort of falls out that it's a really nice spread that reflects the content of the 2022 season as a whole. Well, can you give us a teaser of each of the films that are showing tonight? Sure, sure. I'd love to. Uh, the first one is uh, called The Master Brewer by a Finnish a filmmaker named Antti Hassa. And he's not going to be able to be here with us again tonight, but he was at the first talk back. He's a great guy. And I'm trying to get him back into town for to teach a documentary workshop um, at eMedia this winter. So we'll do that on another yes, show. Please. But yeah, yeah. That's, the, uh, that's this wonderful uh, Cinderella sort of comeback story of a brewer that I thought chimed really well with East Hampton here because we have so many great you know, independent breweries in town. And it's it's wonderful. So that's what we're kicking off with. And then we've got a dramatic piece by a local guy called Candy Cakes, 
which is just absolutely beautifully wrought and bittersweet about a young woman who's struggling with a difficult situation at home with her dad who has health issues and dreams of kind of breaking out. Uh, after that, we're going to do a documentary on the rebuilding of the Holyoke Clock Tower by a local man yep. named Dave Cotton, who mm-hmm. fixed single-handedly fixed the tower. And it's not only really informative and, and beautifully shot and interesting, that's shot by a local filmmaker named Kate Way. She's going to be there to talk about it. Uh, but Dave Cotton is a real character, and I think he's going to be there too. <laughs> so really? I can't Bonus. wait for that. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's just... Uh, I don't know that I could describe him adequately. you got to come and, and meet him for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're going to do All the Marbles by Melissa McClung, which is a mixed-media experimental story about a little girl who saves the world with a magic marble. Um, and it's got animation and stop-motion and stuff on top of the film, which is sort of what Melissa's really been playing around with recently. She, mm-hmm. unfortunately, can't join us. She's uh, in Austin this weekend, so we we oh. missed out on her. But I think she's going to teach a workshop, too. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have uh, Taken In, which is a sort of a mystery drama about a guy who's making dinner for himself and the cops show up and there's things aren't what they seem. And it sort of unfolds and there's a kind of an x file what's going on vibe to it by a filmmaker named Travis Guba, who is an old friend of mine and is in town also for the talkback. Well, you know, so much intrigue with all of these little teasers. There's something, I believe, for everyone, and they they all sound equally exciting. And what I love about your screenings is that you actually have these talkbacks afterwards. And so, um, you know, if you haven't been, been to the East Hampton Film Festival, I think that's always a great perk for going to the films, because how often do you get to meet the filmmaker, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree. It's my favorite part of it. Mm-hmm. And so I know the venue is at E-Media, which used to be East Hampton Media, and it's got a limited capacity. How do folks get tickets uh, to these screenings? Yeah, so go to the website, EastHamptonFilmFestival.com, and then there's a ticket link there. Uh, you know, if you show up, I will be happy to let you in unless we sell out, uh, happy to let you in with cash, but I really prefer you go through the system so I know how many people we're expecting. dot com. Okay, because I know there's only 50 people for each screening, and you are putting out a call for next year, which is exciting. Tell us about that. Absolutely. You know, I've already gotten 50 submissions for the 2023 season. So if you are listening to this and you are interested in helping me screen some of these things and make some notes on a spreadsheet I've got going, please contact me through the website because I need help watching all of these great (laughs) submissions. Well, are you looking for more submissions or are you actually looking for people to help screen these submissions? I'm looking for both. I'm looking for for everybody who's excited. But if you're a filmmaker or you know a filmmaker who's got something – Mission fee, but if you're local and that's a hang-up for you, reach out to me through the site, and I'll give you a special code to waive the fee to submit. Mm, okay. And, Chris, what do you have on tap for yourself? I know you're a filmmaker. Are you putting anything in the works that we can look forward to? <laughs> I'm still – I right now I am still wrapped up in uh, parenting this new festival and parenting my two young kids. 
but mm-hmm. I do want to get back into producing and acting on screen again. You know, selfishly, part of meeting all these great local filmmakers is uh, sort of to lay the groundwork for, hey, that next one you do, put me in that one. <laughs> <laughs> you could be a lot of cameo appearances by Chris Ferry in some of these films. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Well, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to I'm going tonight to see this uh, Wonderful. final oh, Best of the Fest series tonight. Chris Ferry, I really appreciate you putting this festival together. We definitely needed one in the Valley, so I'm psyched you're doing this. And, you know, if you want to get tickets, get them in advance. Go to EastHamptonFilmFestival.com. And um, I appreciate you joining me today on the show. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And Chris, just before you go, uh, if people want to uh, confirm the times and the titles and the like, and make, where do they go, please? That, that's all the same website, EastHamptonFilmFestival.com. Ten bucks a ticket, you can't beat it. Chris Ferry, thank you so very, very much. Donabel Cassis, you always bring the most fascinating, interesting, creative people. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much for this segment every week. Thanks, Bill. Take care. in my could be the detective who can sit behind the desk with a question on your lip. Examiner of a motive, investigate the scene. In the ever-present danger, keep the holster at your hip. If you were in my movie, if you were in my movie, if you were in my movie. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at cachampshire.org or call 413-570-5928. For Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.